Hey humans, it's Jenna here at the Being Human Podcast, back with another good deep talk all about our species. This episode's guest is the fabulous Laura Kenny Dover of the Laura Kenny Therapy Collective. Laura and I came up in the mental health world via the master's social work degree to nonprofit pipeline. We reminisce about the old days, trash talk our profession before getting into the duality that is our love for our profession and our love for what we do. As always, there's laughs and cursing. So I hope you do enjoy. Welcome back to the Being Human podcast. Today I'm very excited to talk to longtime friend, former colleague, Laura. Oh no, new name, Laura. What's your last name? I still go by Laura Kinney. I just okay. added, a, I added a second last name. Okay, yes, yeah, Laura Kinney. Most Welcome. Know that name, yes. Um, and so before I make you answer the really annoying question, I make everyone answer about. <laughs> What's being human mean to you? Why don't you just tell the audience who you are, um, what you do, and like anything else about yourself that is important to you and your identity? Absolutely. So, yeah, I am by training a mental health therapist. I have been working as a therapist for about 10, 12 years. Um, I would say I've been in some form of human services, though honestly, since I was 19, about half my life now, um, starting way back when I was a crisis hotline volunteer for what was then called the YWCA is now ah, the WCA. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that was my first kind of foray into, um, human service work. And I actually on and off worked with them for them. I had probably three or four different roles with them, um, for probably six or seven years before you and I met at Child Saving Institute. Um, uh, yes. It all overlapped a little bit, actually. I did both. Um, and so, but now I have been, I did all of my provisional training, which, you know, takes 3,000 hours after your master's. And I yes. did all that post-internship um, at Heartland Family Service. Ended up hiring me, which was great. And then from there, I was actually approached by two wonderful women to join them, um, we weren't ever a group. We, we just sort of functioned like one. We were just a really um, great match. There was actually ended up four of us in Council Bluffs. So that was a private practice. That was my first iteration of working for myself. And I did that with them. I was there for six years. And so that's how I established over in Southwest Iowa. Um, and I've been there ever since. I still office primarily out of Council Bluffs, which People are like, why do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I love it there. I just do. I love it. And I love your office there too, because when I worked in Council Bluffs, I had a kiddo who was my favorite of my clients at the time, whose therapist were Cami Gomez. Yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I'm so familiar with Guzman. The yeah, oh, yeah, Guzman. Yeah, yeah, taking her to appointments there. And yeah, that's a sweet spot. Yeah, I think my office. We were, you know, it was Kingsville Therapy. Um, I still am pretty close to those those ladies. I just shifted down the street to this old um, converted hotel. So uh-huh. we were, you know, when I walked in here, for those listening, Jenna was telling me about her theme for her offices, like <laughs> cool aunt and cool single aunt, cool with, no single aunt with no children. <laughs> 
um, or sleepover mystery school. I don't know. But so I, um, I would say the theme for my my office when I did have my own space, it is in what used to be like a 1920s barber shop. So I've got this really interesting front area and then mine and you know it's everything an old building should be with loud clanging pipes and lots of disruptions and bugs and it's just it is what it is but it's also my theme I always tell people it's grandma's basement oh yeah I love that because <laughs> it's just got weird furniture and yeah. funky I don't know it's and so when people I tell them that and you know when my clients moved over there it was really different than how my office and my space was organized and kept at Keensville and so they were like oh yeah this is you like this is, so oh that's so nice I love when clients yeah. give me feedback on just like how the space feels for them but like also because yeah. it's a reflection it's great yeah they said it, it was more it was me and so um and COVID had you know a little bit to do with that there became more of that need for my own waiting space my yeah. own like my own entrance like it just became a little bit more apparent and then um you know and I'm, I'm actually here i think to talk a little bit about brain spotting which is my primary modality now it's what i'm most known for when i set up the office i specifically set it up to be a brain spotting therapist yeah. and i needed um i needed a certain way of being able to move around the room i needed a certain place for the client i needed um my own little setup which i can't really i'll try to describe it without an image but a couch where i have my music um we use bilateral sound for every session. I have essential oils, and the reason for those is pretty specific in terms of grounding and then pathways through the nose and the sense of scent and, and being able to help people who are dissociating, um, people who, you know, it's one of those things that I learned actually in my training, and and it's just like having it all in one little place, this little station is, has made a huge difference for the practice and for um, I think when people enter the space just knowing they're entering into that container it helps a lot so yeah yeah so that's my space I don't know how we got there I anyway so I work in council plus primarily <laughs> but I also um, I have another group practice called lifespan counseling it's out in west Omaha it's about as far away as you could get from my other office but it's um, gosh we have 10 practitioners out there now oh wow yep we have um therapists who see pretty much any age you could we have it covered pretty much and then we also do psychiatry out there so we have a prescriber on staff um and so they're two really different they're two really different concepts honestly and yeah. that i mean you know that will they all become one at some point i don't know but that's that's okay. my my current jam is i am still a practicing therapist and also a business owner, a business lady, supervisor extraordinaire, and for the last three months, I've also been the administrative assistant for both, like one of my practices, really. And so um, I kind of wear all hats, and and I was actually kind of like forced into that in August when my other admin left, and that's been good because there isn't an aspect of the practice I don't understand or know about now thoroughly, yeah. and you have to do that to manage, you have to do that to run things, you've got to know all of it yourself, so. Um, it's been good. It's been it's been a lot, and uh, thankfully I hired a new one this week. Awesome! <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So that's that's me. I spend a lot of my time in the admin role. I spend a lot of my time um, coming up with solutions, creating new things, and then still seeing some clients. Mostly all all brain spotting. That is that is exclusively what I do these days. So. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I'm so excited to hear more specifically about brain spotting because that's a modality I do not do, but I feel like. I'm very interested in, even if I never get trained, like, yeah, I just mm -hmm. really, I love 
brain stuff, neuroscience. Brains, right? We all have one of those. Yeah, right? <laughs> turns out. <laughs> turns out. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to have you see if you can explain what being a human is to you. And then I want to dive into some fun stories about how we met before we get into oh, brains. I, I just can't wait. Um, I mean, when you said when you said that was going to be what I needed to answer, of course, for me, it's like, you know, I guess the way I view it is I'm more of a, a spirit having a human experience and not everybody looks at it that way. And I, I totally get it. And, and um, that's that's just how I view my life and my path. Um, but and I think I and I think I, I call to people as a practitioner, who maybe view things a little bit more like that or understand energetic patterns or things like that. But um I, I would agree. I call yeah. it, uh, we are spiritual beings trapped in a meat suit. Meat suit, yeah, <laughs> with the skeleton driving And so, yeah, so we mm-hmm. gotta, like, take care of the meat suit and the spirit. All of it, right? <laughs> and so, there's been some really cool, and a lot, and these next two things, like, I didn't come up with, and I, I'm gonna, like, not attribute this to who said it, because I, I read so many different things, but someone had said, someone had posted this about, kind of, why would I want to escape that human experience when that's probably why I'm here, you know, like kind of yeah. the, the idea of, you see a lot of spirituality about ascending things and like moving past things. And yeah. like, I'm kind of here for it all. <laughs> I'm kind of yeah. here for like the mess and like, I don't know. And so, I mean, within reason, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah. I'm kind of here for that. And I'm here for all those experiences. And certainly I, I think the last five years for me has dealt me many of those as well as the last two for all of us. I mean, we had this really yeah. collective, grief and this really co- I mean more than that but like this really collective um trauma yeah no I mean, what, I, like that, that. I would say a global pandemic global is trauma a, for sure a collective <laughs> yeah. trauma because right. no yeah. one's like doing great because yeah and right so, like even yeah. those who may not themselves ever identify as if that experience was quote-unquote traumatizing for them like yeah. mm, it definitely reshaped your brain you were forced mm-hmm. into things you were forced mm-hmm. into isolation you, you know like mm-hmm. And that's going to take a toll on yeah, our little spiritual beings, for on sure. On our spiritual beings, as well as, you know, what it, what's going to emerge? What are we going to... We already kind of have a pediatric mental health crisis, and so, like, what are we yeah. what are we going to do, like, as time goes on with, the, with, I guess, our children that kind of lived through this, but I could go on with that. But the... Um, so I think healing from that, or or what's that, what's that going to take, as well, that came to me when you asked about the human experience, um, that I'm, I am really here for this. And, and that might mean a lot of, of any experience at all. And then I think, I can't remember who said it. I, someone talking about how no one rides for free. <laughs> like, that's a really interesting thing to me that, like, we all kind of are going to come up against something and maybe many somethings. And the human experience is probably about the way that I think of, probably similar to how I think about therapy or therapeutics at this point being able to hold sensation before moving it. So. Oh, I, ooh, I'm going to remember that. I like mm. that, right? Hold sensation before moving yeah. it, right? Yeah, I am just into, as me as a human, mm. it took me a very long time. I'm so swept away by my emotions or sensations. Mm. Um, and for so long, well, first of all, no one around me seemed to have them or pretended they didn't and didn't talk about them. So mm-hmm. it was a weird thing of feeling like, am I the only one? Like, mm-hmm. what? Um, but also thinking that getting it swept away, I was, like, dealing or processing or doing something and mm-hmm. how long it took to get to that, what you just said. Mm-hmm. Even I love the way you mm-hmm. phrased that. It hit very well for me of, like, yes, I, mm-hmm. I'm constantly needing mm-hmm. to remember that that's the way to go mm-hmm. forward. Yeah. Um, 
And so totally. Yeah. I think we can always deepen the range we have for high sensation events. And those are going to be really, I mean, anything that could be good. I'm using air quotes. That could be bad air quotes. Those, yeah. There's a lot of high sensation experiences that aren't going to be particularly pleasant or yeah. comfortable. And then some that are going to be like riding on a roller coaster, which that's kind of that line, right? You know? Yeah, scary. totally. Or not scary, but anyway, so that, I guess I, that was immediately what came to me. I'm sure I could go on forever about what is the human experience, but no, I like it, that. It delves more into spirituality for me, yeah. um, and maybe my spiritual worldview. But I know for sure that I feel I'm here to have a very human experience. Yeah, and, no, I like that mm-hmm. because um, I was talking to another guest on a different episode. A lot of people used to say things to me like, "Well, I didn't ask for this, yeah. like to be born, to be here," and. I had a really hard time, like, really kind of, like, understanding. Like, I knew what they meant by it, mm-hmm. but, like, under, like, kind of sitting in that perspective with them. I'm like, what? Um, and then, of course, as I have aged and experienced the human experience, and it's very mm-hmm. multifaceted layers um, and the way that we create torture for ourselves as humans. Yeah. Um, I'm like, oh, okay, I kind of get it now. Like, I get it. Okay, you didn't ask for this, and so now it feels very pressed upon you. And I think, like, to your point, that's what people – get stuck in maybe where they can't recognize like you have it's like oh yeah that's like the whole deal I'm here and it's gonna be a lot it's gonna be up and down it's gonna be these things and that's what it is and and this yeah right um of course we do it no way right um and that's very much how I come to feel about it too it's like well yeah I didn't ask for it and I can totally better empathize with people who that's very hard for but also it's like but is is this is the whole deal I don't know I know like yeah I can't say even though I've had some horrifically painful and literal traumatic experiences like Mm -hmm. and even as dark as I have felt in times like I don't know I don't look at that as like you said bad or whatever Mm -hmm. you know it's just it it was something and Mm -hmm. it was a lot and Mm -hmm. I in the moment it's a lot more and it's harder to be where I'm at with it some of that now where I can be like okay yeah you know and I think that maybe you and I have arrived at that through different avenues probably the experiences themselves and it is for people who seek that it isn't for I know you and I are also the types that aren't going to go to someone and be like you know what this is just like part of the gig like this oh is, you know, yeah it's yeah. not something that any of us ever like hand to someone and say you need to like you need to view all this as for a reason yeah it's no yeah, yeah, yeah. I will find all kinds of paradox with do you know how do you how do I even just within myself, say, do children deserve animals, you know, deserve? Yeah. No, of course not. Like, so the paradox of at what point are we participating? At what point did we have no choice? And certainly we know there's so many people, things, beings, creatures on this planet that don't have a choice. And so I think it's, if anything, I would say the <laughs> the human experience, I've found it, here we go, is constantly navigating a paradox. Oh, I like that too. Yeah. These two really seemingly opposite things seem true all at once. And that's mm-hmm. a great too. Like my big and this will segue us into talking a little bit about our profession of mental health is mm-hmm. because I think that's what's so uh, the paradox I am always working with clients on at this point. Um we're humans are human, but we have the ability to create things. And we created this society and mm-hmm. so much of the structures. And I'm speaking specifically to our American culture, but I do think this is 
you can see this globally so like as a species you can see this in ways is the paradox is like oh this society we live in and are forcing people to is inhumane so very inhumane right yeah. incredibly inhumane but we the humans created it yeah. right um and so it's like this paradox I of know. like this thing that we I created know. but it's really awful but we live in it yeah and i i yeah it's um fascinating to me at this point in my life um for individually to navigate how I personally will try to find and keep my humanity in these inhumane yes. structures and like that. pass that to my children pass mm -hmm. that to my clients and that is the paradox for me mm -hmm. it's such a good way you put it because I was like yeah what the fuck did we do here yeah, how do we... <laughs> it's like whoa but yeah. we did and so that's what it is yeah. and here, yeah I'm part of it so, and so to that point, we're both mental health practitioners, okay. came in the game early together. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd love to hear and talk to you now about like criticizing our profession a little bit. But first, story it. time. One of my favorites. So yes, we met at Child Saving Institute. Oh my I had just got my master's, just became, I think when this story happened, I was in the role of a therapist and you, you were, were, you were the like therapist. Yep. the case manager mm -hmm. side and we shared a client. And so we worked with, was this? was a visiting nurses program or was this just a CHI? I don't remember how that was all structured because I feel like we served like eight different programs. Yeah, anyway. Like, this might have been the Young Parents program. Yeah, anyway, a non-profit shit show mm -hmm. as it can be. Oh, yeah. And so we served clients, obviously, who had high, high needs. So this gal was a um, carny worker, had traveled around, had been homeless. She was only mm -hmm. barely, you know, 19, I think. Mm -hmm. Um and was pregnant and so we were working on getting her stable and housing and all the things for her baby and so she has the baby and part of our services were like in-home visits so this was in council bluffs actually oh, yeah. and so thank god we were doing this in-home visit together oh my goodness because if i had been alone mm -hmm. I literally don't know what would have happened, but, and I like to think of myself, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty with it. I don't know. I haven't felt very deer in the headlines a lot in my career, and a lot of people in my profession and in my personal life usually come to me because I'm very good with conflict. I'm very good with confrontation. Like, I'm mm. pretty like, we can do this. Let's be direct. But not this day. Oh, my God. This is the day of days. No, yeah. I'm like, did I'm like... My mind just shut down. But we're in the home, and it's like, so it's a house that a bunch of people are sharing. It's just, like, random roommates. So, like, we're in the living room, and so I do remember, like, random other adults are about the house. Maybe yep. want some in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And this young gal is sitting on her living room floor, clutching her probably, like, three-month-old baby. And I don't remember, I think there had been a trigger, something had maybe happened, but like all I, I have vivid memory, she is clutching baby, profusely rocking back and forth as hard as she can as she bawls her eyes out and just keeps repeating over and over, I need him to take care of me now. Mm -hmm. And the him she was referring to was her three-month-old baby. Mm -hmm. So therapist Jenna, brand new, is looking at this scene and like, absolutely knows one we have to remove this baby from this woman like just even in this moment not like forever but like like in this moment like sh this is not a safe situation for this baby mm -mm. two we're in a really unsafe situation because i don't know who the fuck is here where we are even really like i remember finding that place we had a heart it was fucking weird anyway and i had no idea how to do any of the things i knew we needed to do and then by the grace of God, Laura, like, just says whatever, this super casual, like, oh, blah, 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 and, 
and like whisks us outside so we can like get our shit together and she is just like in like you were in crisis management mode you were like so here's what we gotta do like we gotta get the baby and so we're, i'm gonna call so and so back at blah blah and you were like i'm gonna call this you call it and i was like yes okay tell me what to do and you were just like directing me and we were calling people and like i don't remember how it ended i do think maybe we called cps and like yeah. cops came yeah, no, and cops. Yeah, yeah 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 and so they ended up helping navigate getting mm -hmm. the baby and getting her and she didn't get her child taken in the long run mm -hmm. like that, like she i think they got her somewhere so. and she got a keep with her baby babe yeah. but like I just remember like I will never forget that because I honestly don't really remember having a time like that where I was like I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna do <laughs> and like had you not been there I don't know what the fuck I would have done because even the people you were telling us to call at CSI I remember thinking like how do I not know who the fuck to call like how am I here and my employers just like yeah. have no idea you know like um, but you, you had it, you saved me, I will never forget it, I was oh so God. grateful, and I was just like, and I really learned, like, valuable lesson in that moment of, like, being able to calm myself by at least admitting, I don't know what to do, and that's okay, like, take a breath, get outside, yeah. like, and, yeah, yeah. I think, well, and, like, when you said that, I had, like, retrieving that memory from the archives. <laughs> yeah. And, fascinating today because you were like do you remember like before we came on here you're like I, we have to talk about this memory and I was like oh my gosh no I hadn't thought but now it's all like yeah right back, which is very the cool part of the brain and probably segues well into brainstorming ah, because yes. yeah there's no I have not thought about that in so long and that was probably one of our yeah more harrowing experiences of is this baby are we going to be able to get this baby out alive um there were a lot of other people in that house that, and, you know, I, I want to say that I, I think I saw there were a lot of drugs, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, we were, there we did. This was not just, that. like, the most, you know, chill, <laughs> relaxed situation that we yeah. walked into. Um, and, you know, we were very young ourselves. And yeah, oh, I yeah, like, very, 24, yeah, 24, maybe? Yeah, pretty young. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was back in the, the in-home days. Like, that um, that was a big part of my early career, my pre-master's oh. career. Um, yeah. It was primarily in-home all over Omaha. Did it for years. So, I think that's, that. there is something really, really um, unpreparable about walking into yes. people's gardens. And, like, you're just, you're in a really different space. You're in their space. You're in, you're going to, there's going to be a lot of different things that really can't be prepared for. And so, that, and that was, that was one of them. I don't even remember exactly why we were doing that visit. Maybe I know we, that's maybe what, we just had to. I, yeah, I want to say she had maybe just moved there and visit. part of it was like because we needed to like yeah. genuinely like check on that housing yeah. situation or I don't remember but yeah. Well and just speaking of in-home stuff that's what like mm -hmm. yeah I think back on like employers and the like risks they put us in like when I was in Kansas doing in-home yeah. case management there was literally a guy who first of all I knew he was very abusive to the woman who I was working with mm. and I'm in the home with him and he's selling crack not even joking like literally he I, and I also knew he was a crack dealer but he would sell crack out of the kitchen just a transaction while I was there like multiple clusters not like oh one guy came over and bought some crack I was like oh my god He's just brazenly selling his crack in front of me. Yeah. Like, what goes uh, on when I'm not here? Yeah. Right? What's and this, then, what's this like when I'm not here? Yeah. obviously, like, motherfucker, I have to report shit. Yeah. So he, like, 
that obviously did not go well because there were like three children in that home. So small town. So I don't know, three months later, mm -hmm. I'm at, well, it would have been like blockbuster to you guys, but in Kansas, we had this thing called Hastings, which was like books, movies, all Not the same. Um, <laughs> super fucking cool. And I'm perusing the books to get one for a group I was doing, and that guy was hanging out, and he followed me around the store the whole time and followed me out, and I was so scared because mm -hmm. I was like... I know why he, yeah, like he obviously looks at me yeah. as like, you. Yeah. and so just stuff like that where I'm like, yeah. what? How is this? How no. we? No. <laughs> I don't know. I've, Start our careers, but it is. Like, so. I feel like we've been out of that. I mean, I think both of us left nonprofits around the same time. Oh, you know, yeah, because I, mean, I think we left CHI. I didn't realize you went to Heartland because I, or CSI, yeah. I was at Heartland, the school. Heartland when, yeah. school, yeah. So I feel and like then, yeah, sort of, I left Heartland to go to, Papio and you started your private yes. practice because I was yeah. like, oh my god, I'm gonna refer Papio. kids to you. Yeah, so I feel like we both kind of left nonprofit, um, and it, and I think that yeah, and then if you want to start the part of the podcast where we start trashing on our profession, I'm ready. Yes. No, I'm just kidding. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I'm whatever, ready. whatever you want to do. Yeah. Well, yeah, like so to, we'll go from that to mm -hmm. brainstorming because like so mm -hmm. much of my work, mental health wise, now um, is around helping people recognize like, oh my god. Okay, yeah, we sort of had it backwards. I know that we created this thing called the DSM, and you've been told this whole bag of goods that, like, there's all this biology and chemical imbalance and blah, 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 and that you are disordered yeah. in some way as an individual. Right. Yeah. But guess what? Yeah. We're a bunch of fucking liars. Yeah. And actually, you know what's disordered? The society you wake up in, and it causes you to feel anxious, and it causes you to feel depression, and it causes you to feel disconnected because it's so inhumane. Yeah, for sure. Right, yeah. and like helping people try to understand their mental health as much as they can from how their environment impacts it, and not in other things. We always talk medical, we always yeah. talk history, like yeah. right. But like, I feel like that environment piece has either been non-existent if you're like psychology, right, right? Yeah. or like social work does a good job of bringing person and environment in, but more so in a way of like, oh, okay, what is their environment lacking? Connect them to resources, yeah. but not in a way where it's like the psychological burden <laughs> of being born into a society that is structured around white supremacy, patriarchal, capitalistic views, right? And that capitalism is my favorite, like, psychological burden to talk about in the sense of, like, what is it? It's this very make-believe system that we've all agreed. It's real because we've all agreed to participate in it, but even, the, but, like, you still know mm -hmm. the stock market, mm -hmm. rich people, like, they get all this stuff mm -hmm. and it's all make believe really mm -hmm. right <laughs> yeah. and so and like and i i think whether you view it that way or not your psyche to your spirit knows mm -hmm. this shit isn't real mm -hmm. dirt grass whatever right. you and i are mm -hmm. and the We've made all of our basic needs and all of our ability to survive like just survive as the meat suit on the planet around this make-believe resource yeah um and i like i think that is just an example of like people are so unaware how i think that really impacts you, your psyche and that's just like one tiny nugget of the weird paradoxes we're forced to live yeah. in right we're a couple hundred years into that now so it's like there's nobody that remembers a different way yeah um i mean i think some cultures have done better at holding on to a different way but 
Yeah, no. Yeah. And a lot of when I refer to things, obviously I'm coming from the lens of our society yep. where like yep. we are experiencing the human experience, and so I don't want it. US, yep. Yeah. But mm -hmm. to that point, our profession. Yeah. This stupid DSM thing, everyone <laughs> thinks it's like this gold Bible and it's like nobody over in like other country well, there's some, but like there's plenty of other countries like this is not how they view mental health. Right. So it's not like right. this yeah. This is what humans are. It's like, well, this is what we decided to come up with to give you words for yeah. things and like. I know. Well, and like, where did they, where did they just they posted? It's it's kind of funny that it's like a study that they post anyway. But so it's like it's funny that it's a research study where they talked about how the DSM is scientifically meaningless. No, it is. But like, that's the what? other thing no one knows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like in the the community, not like yeah. like it's um, the study is that like no mental health practitioner can diagnose someone the same. So mm -hmm. you, we could take the same client and put that client in front of three different mm -hmm. practitioners who all maybe even have like the same background. They will all give that person different a different diagnosis. diagnosis. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I feel like we just sort of, and I, I mean, I use we loosely cause that's like a group of like psychiatrists somewhere in a, I don't know where they locate themselves yeah. to do this decision making, but they, it's just like language. We all decided to agree on in these kind of constellations of symptoms that, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, it's just, yeah. And, and that's why I think I, even as somebody who I went, I went through psychology at Creighton, I didn't know social work was even a thing. I didn't know it was an option. We talked about that when we yeah. met up a couple weeks ago. I didn't know it was an option for me until I was in, in my master's program. Um, but even someone who came through psychology and was doing stats and thought I was going to go be a research psychologist or at the bare yeah. minimum, just leave and go write policy somewhere. The furthest thing from my mind was becoming a clinician <laughs> and I was absolutely sure for so many years I didn't want to do it, but, um, but here I am. Yeah. No, my yeah. same. I mm -hmm. would always, I will not do therapy. Yeah. I can't sit in an yeah. office and just talk Never. to someone for an hour. Yeah. But then it turns out. Like, oh wait. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and not only that, now like moving into beyond talk therapy and just like the cultivation of holding really deep space for people is something that would have never even been on my radar because yeah. that's one, not how we're trained anyway. But um, so I am grateful to brain spotting for sort of helping me undo some of the training, you know, in, in psychology, although I'm, I'm pretty grateful for that because I'm a big like kind of history dork that enjoys reading about like some... I don't know. There's some really cool like Jungian podcasts out there and they're just like these really old school Jungian therapists and they just talk about like symbols. And so, I mean, there's just like very cool psychological history and then there's also like really not cool Yeah, there's history. like cool Jungian mm -hmm. and then there's like Freud. Then there's that. There's yeah. that piece <laughs> of shit. That. <laughs> that might have been like really opium induced. But so <laughs> right. I of that. But then, so there's a, there's a historical component that I like. Um, I think there's like, if I could make it so that there was like a reading list for new therapists, for new practitioners, for anybody who wants to do this, it would be so varied between, you know, going back into Monica McGoldrick's work of, you know, like looking at the cultural family norms. And that's one of my favorite books. There's even a couple of psychoanalytic um, diagnostic books that are very cool because they, that was, uh, you know, opium induced or not, it was the first <laughs> yeah. look at. It was the first look at the unconscious and the psyche and the location of things. Young expounding on that, but then um, 
the first, the one thing he got right was he was the first, Sigmund Freud was one of the first people to ever say that what the experiences of early childhood matter and that they actually yeah. imprint people in, in certain ways. And that is very, very true. Yeah. With brain spotting. I'll give him that. I'll give him He's that. the one who came up with yeah. it. <laughs> well, doing a lot of drugs. But yeah, so then like the... Actually, I bet a woman said that many years earlier. Probably. And so it was, it's just not taken His seriously. His daughter did a lot better with some of that too. So <laughs> I'm just saying, I bet there was a mother oh, at some sure. point in history right. who was like... You know, maybe this is important. I feel like this is important. Yeah. And then she was ignored. And then yeah. Freud took it. I would bet you're right. <laughs> I'm rewriting history. That. I don't care. <laughs> no, I think that's, that's like, I think that's intuitive to a lot of people and, and women. Um, but so the, the, and then moving into like the practice of brain spotting, like we had talked about me talking a little bit about that. I was an EMDR therapist for a long time. I did, um, and that's, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing if people don't know what that is it's pretty well known these days it's yeah it's one a of real the more specific tra- like yeah. trauma therapy that's really somatic or like trying to help you like you said getting in touch with those sensations yes. and right reducing them so that it's yes. a tolerable yeah um and working through trauma memories more somatically yeah um yeah. and yeah so i'm like a narrative-based trauma therapist, which is why I love having somatic because I don't I don't think you can just do one necessarily for sure. And I do think somatics they're faster. Mm-hmm. Like I know that narrative, um, like this kind of thing is definitely maybe more important sometimes. Um, and so, yeah, I just love having practitioners that I trust so I can get people to that because when that's you just not my when you're do, like style. so, would you say the goal? Because I am so not knowledgeable on narrative is it is the goal to create the cohesive story yeah so kind of like you the me personally I want to really create in the office a container right and I really want to create this space in this Mm -hmm. environment Mm -hmm. um and so one I like and I talk a lot about like so it's also the container for me is about doing the like re- the grounding through a sense of reestablishing safety mm. through the safeness of this space, but our relationship. So we even go so far, even before we get to like constructing the narrative, the story okay. of like, you are in control, you are in charge. We'll never talk about it if you never want to talk about it. You know, and so we talk about like this is where the consent gets back to you, and it yes. starts with whether where we ever talk about it, how we talk about it, when we talk about it, blah blah blah. So we do a lot of creating that container, and I've never had someone who was like, "Yeah, I'm not talking about it." We've never not not talked about at least some of you know to a degree, and so yeah, then using those specific sessions that we talk about it again, like. We always plan those. That way they have plenty of time to prepare. It's not, we're never going to do that spontaneously. If we planned it and they come in and they're like, I can't today, then we, you know, okay, we don't kind of thing. You did like the coolest parallel process ever then on this podcast because like the whole thing was, and we met a few times as we would be doing probably anyway, but then. You know, you really like planted these seeds of would you ever come on this podcast? And it was very consent based. And it was like, and also if you hate it, we'll just delete it so no yeah. one may ever hear anything you say. Yeah. So I feel like you just did this whole narrative thing with me in this podcast. This is great. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's very like that's just so intuitive to me. Yes, it that's is. not necessarily, and I'm sure I picked yeah. it up and learned it in various ways from professional education. That's so cool though. But like, yeah, it's Maybe. a lot of like, what I really like about my practice now, um, is that 
I'm way more comfortable being eclectic, kind of the opposite of you. I never, I attached to a lot of modalities I really love, but I oh, never so had, I. right, one where yeah, I so felt I. like this is, other than I want to work with like trauma, mm -hmm. and I love at being comfortable with having such an eclectic menu, and then I can get to know someone and like, okay, I can piece together a thing for you individually, mm -hmm. as opposed to like, CBT works really well for this. DBT works really, you know, and doing it that way, which is how we're kind of taught yeah. to do it. Yeah. Um, and really only taught to, at least I don't know about your training program, because you, you were in Kansas, right? Is yeah, well, I went to Crane for social training. work, and then my master's, master's, yep, at KU in Kansas. I don't know how many modalities they even explored or taught, but for me it was two. It was cognitive behavior therapy, which honestly sometimes I find myself really delving into those core beliefs with people. And I'm like, oh, crap, am I a CBT therapist all along? <laughs> I know, right? Like, I can't. It's cool, though. But then the, um, I think that what you're never going to convince me is that a thought arises and then an emotion does. I, that, that's how CBT is kind of organized. Like, a thought arises and then you have an emotion. I just, I can't buy that. <laughs> like, I think that a lot arises in the visceral sense, the emotion, the body, sensation, and then I think we think about it. <laughs> I think oh. I have. I think it's the other way. But well, you know what's so interesting mm -hmm. about that is because um, one. With, let me just shit on CBT for a minute. Because yes, yeah, <laughs> like CBT, I like it yeah. as a tool when it's taught the way I do it. But yes, the way that it's taught, like professionally, I did, because that's what they want. I want you to continue to focus on you as an individual. You need to change your thinking. We don't need to change white supremacy, the patriarchy, right? We don't need to change these things. You just need to change how you think about them. Yeah. Right. Okay. I use it because, guess what? We do live in these things. They're not going to change overnight. So we do need to be able to manage and tolerate them. So that's where it could be, right, mm -hmm. helpful as a tool. But I don't teach it a thought and emotion arises. Mm -hmm. I teach it as, like, you can only control yourself so here's how yourself sort of works mm -hmm. and i say it's thought feeling and those can come in any order right yeah like i don't i was like i don't necessarily be like the thought happens and then i just say they affect each other so when you can catch one of them yeah I get so that. if it's the sensation you can catch okay oh, let's sure. catch the sensation yeah. first if you can catch the thought first mm -hmm. okay let's catch the thought and try to impact the other ones in the direction so well, that's kind of how i teach it i like that yeah and when i think about the core beliefs like often you know, they, they de we're going to de decide things about ourselves and about the world based on yeah. the experiences we have. So you might develop a core belief around, I'm unsafe and everybody's unsafe. Everybody yeah. I encounter is not safe. And that's often below consciousness. So that's where people are having, you know, it's just like, I'm having this panic fire all the time. And I know on some conscious level I am safe, but I don't feel that way. And yeah. so you're looking at that dysregulation. Well, the part of the brain, at least from the way that we look at it with brain spotting or, you know, aspects of neuroscience and the nervous system is the part of you or me that's involved in regulating anything has nothing to do with language, mm -hmm. has nothing to do with cognition, and it's very bottom up. It's very brainstem. So regulating in that way, you can't necessarily do the top down process, but I find so much value in, in working on the core beliefs because... Um, and maybe that's not done in a brain spotting session because, and I can talk about why you wouldn't necessarily start talking about cognitions in the middle of a brain spotting yeah. session. That's, that's more EMDR. Um, but I still think there's so much value in working on them. And so that's where I'm going to be in that paradoxical space with cognitive behavior <laughs> therapy. But, um, when you were saying how you can kind of catch any one of them, I love that because one of my favorite 
two of my favorite brain spotters are not therapists at all. They are physical therapists and they oh, yeah. um, teach um, a master class or a, a, a topic class, whatever you want to call it, within brain spotting called From Freeze to Thaw. And they mm. are, they focus on the fascia system of the body, which is under both conscious control and autonomic nervous control. So you've, you've got pain patterns that have locked in the body. There's sometimes very little you can do to let go of that consciously. Yeah. Because they talk about the different muscles, cardiac muscle. You're not in any control of your heart, right? I mean, yeah. sort of. Yeah. yeah. But, like, your heart's going to beat whether you decide it's going to beat or not, right? Yeah. I can think about you stop beating. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's but it's going to go. So cardiac muscles not is under total kind of unconscious control. You've got muscles. Um, they have another word for that. But, like, I think smooth muscle where I can move my hand. I'm moving my hand right now. I can stand up. That's under control. But the fascia has both. So whereas you can have certain things that are connected to the nervous system that are very much connected to that part of the body that covers every aspect of your muscle. It's that like white coating all over the muscle. So anyway, they're physical therapists. And I think that how they came to it, I'm going to paraphrase, is that they, they found that people just were not always able to get better with just PT. So like, well, what's going on here? And there's just ways that trauma can be held, I think, in different positioning. And I guess what I would call it is just armoring up all the time. Right, yeah, you know, bracing, yeah. and so that yeah. that can have a lot of physical pain to it and pain patterns. But but there, those two um, ladies that teach it are fantastic. And one of the things I remember hearing from them um, in one of their, they did like a one hour presentation once about how they use the analogy of that you can get to Yellowstone Park through either going through Montana or up for Wyoming, and that you can get there, you can get to the stuff through the body or through a memory, but there's a lot of people where the movie's not going to play. Like, whatever the thing that happened to them. Yeah, yeah. There's not going to be a big image and something happened, but that's just not, it's not coded visually. And so you can go to the tightening of the chest, the diaphragm, the, like, desire to clench. You know, those are the, that's one way in. Yeah. So it's kind of like the same as that trend. To that point of the visuality, I have just discovered, okay, I'm not officially diagnosed, but, like, uh, that I have aphasia. So, like, mm-hmm. I don't see imagery, right? Mm-hmm. And so does that affect people, if people who have that where they don't, wouldn't be necessarily tracking things imagery? Is that, like, mm-hmm. at all, nope, because, like, a big deal? No, because I think you'd be looking at, and so this is where I get pretty, like, utilitarian about this. I'm like, things are only a problem if they're a problem. Yeah. Like, if you come to me and you're like, this isn't a problem for me, then very rarely am I going there, right? If yeah. it's a problem for you, then let's talk it through. So, if you're not visualizing disturbing things or something you don't like happening to you, then we're not going there. And nor do I need you to have a visual to okay, work on yeah. what the thing is. Maybe you're someone without that that probably it's way more body. Or so, yeah, to that, I was going to ask you, because I think this is really fascinating as you to explain how this works. Yeah. And I'm just going on my own. So I was trying to be like over the anxiety i'm ready I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah like admittedly i had i'm super and as a practitioner we're gonna use whatever works for you yeah. if that's meds right. if that's like we're gonna use whatever if we're, and we're gonna yeah. le- let you use try anything well yeah. obviously anything that's not harmful yeah. um but i have my own weird personal bias with meds like when i had postpartum depression with my first kiddo mm-hmm. ob was like let me get you some legs mm-hmm. probably yeah and then I couldn't go to the pharmacy and get it. Really? I don't even, yeah, I don't, I. You never tried it? I, oh. yep, I got the alert. I ignored the alert and just like <laughs> never went. And ha- I have this weird, and this comes from probably religious trauma. Shit. I have this weird, like, you can suffer, you should suffer, you, like, you should do it, mm. whatever on yeah. your, like, a little bit of that. I think, like, 
gets in the way there. But anyway, I finally hit the wall at 38 where I was like, ugh. I know all the things. I'm yeah. very good at all of the things. The, the CBT, things. the DBT. I have friends. I have. <laughs> and my life is actually very great. Why am I yeah. still writing in such a place of anxiety when I'm in a pretty good spot, you know, here? And so I was like, get over this mad bias. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. And I went to the psychiatrist, and we're going through everything. And they were like, how about where I would love to treat. The, what I think might be ADHD mm -hmm. and see if that's anxiety yeah. and if not then but I was like you're the doctor <laughs> oh my god what <laughs> night and day yeah okay so to your point of like it being sensation versus thought that fascinates me because I now know what I was feeling as anxiety is that my brain is going so I think subconsciously it's tornadoing right and consciously and so I got really good at managing the conscious thoughts yeah. but they're either well I can't do anything about the unconscious like you said Not so really. I still would just my nervous system yeah would be in, and I'd be mm -hmm. really heightened and even now I um because like to your point I had really intense sensations I they I don't know where they would start, but for sure those thoughts would ramp them the fuck up yeah. though too, right? Yeah. Woo! And like, anyways, crazy ADHD. All my wormholes were like me <laughs> thinking about me and yeah. like who my partner was. And so to have medicated that and figured that part of my brain out is wild and fascinating and now people, hearing about this yeah. right yeah right what comes first the sensation or the thought and like what can you do if you like don't have control well and like i think most people who get treated for adhd i feel like i hear a lot it's like the static is just turned down like you can suddenly just think and yeah. it's clear and i think that's like most people describe what like when i hear from them um and we do a lot of at lifespan at least we do a lot of adhd assessment for particularly adults, but all ages. Um, and I just, I think that the feedback we get on people willing to diagnose that, I know it's kind of like one of those things these days where sometimes you can have trouble getting diagnosed or you can mm -hmm. have trouble getting somebody to prescribe medication because those happen to be amphetamines yeah. or things like that. But I know it's not amphetamines aren't the only option, but it's just one of those things where um, people just report night and day like difference and not having known because they've come up with so many adaptations over the years. Like, yeah, I remember hearing from, I did get to go, why don't, why, why do I think this was the CSI years and maybe you were there, but wait, oh no, it was, I think it was the NASW conference one year where someone came in and I feel like he had been a psychiatrist and served like in the prison systems or something, but mm -hmm. he was like an ADHD specialist for adults. And he talked about how, this was what was fascinating to me. He's like, um, adults with ADHD who don't know they have it or have never been diagnosed because for years, like, nobody would, you just, yeah. Like, well, they used the cracks, to think really. ADHD, uh, you grew out of it yeah. as an adult. Yeah. Like, that was, like, right. the clinical, yeah. you know, <laughs> information being out there. He's, like, he talked about how, you know, they're going to come up with adaptations where they know they have to put their keys in the same place every time because they're not going to mm -hmm. create a memory about where it went. Or he's, like, they're either often 30 minutes late for everything or, exact or early because they know yeah. they can't hit on time. And, like, just different adaptations and different things that workarounds that they've come up with that um you can kind of coast for a long time and not yeah. know it could be easier I guess but yeah so that I think that I have a seat pretty comfortably in the middle on meds I think it's like you know you gotta do it you gotta do it and then I also think that the combination of meds and therapy 
by research, by just my own anecdotes, it's like I think that ends up being like a pretty great combination for most people. But, oh yeah, I've always been huge as a meds, professional. Yeah. We're not doing medication though, like without mm-hmm. therapy or something else. Like, because medication isn't. It's only yeah. helping you manage symptoms so yeah. you can treat like something. It's not to me like the treatment and to shit on a profession some more we were handing out SSRIs like motherfucking candy Mm. and like we do over medicate and like we do psychiatry loves to pretend that they are an exact science when they are experimenters and uh and again I'm not saying we shouldn't be making these available but the way we like push them so many people will prescribe without ever recommending or being like you should do therapy yeah you know there's still like so much benefit as much as I have moved so much into somatics and you know brain spotting for sure I love it and also I am definitely not I'm I'm not formally trained in like you know somatic experiencing that training program is like three years long and I've never I've never done the full thing or anything like that but I love it and maybe it's in my future if I have three years to give it um and then you know internal family systems and parts work like there's so much I bring into that that isn't even pure brain spotting and I was actually just having a conversation with a client the other day about that and she's like had gone to one of the the trainings about something and was like sometimes you kind of are like talking, you know, here and there. And I'm like, yes, but I'm not interpreting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think one of the things that brain spotting therapists, I think first you have to be a really good clinician to do brain spotting. And I think David Graham, the creator of it is open about that as well as I think you have to be able to undo the idea of interpreting for a client. Mm-hmm. Like, well, are you, you know, maybe that's sadness or, you know, something like that. Yeah. And instead of doing that, following what we call staying in the tail of the comment. So it's essentially like letting them lead while you're kind of really holding deep space. And if you look into some of the research, which I'm only an inch deep and a mile wide on this one, but um, heart coherence and like the coherence of the the body and being in being in a a space with someone who is regulated is regulating to another human. Your nervous system. system sync up yeah. when you walk into space with other humans yeah. immediately. For sure. And that's yeah. why like crew like, you know, we're wounded relationally for the most part entirely and then I think we heal that way too that's why it's really not able to be done alone like it's not and that you know I think we can do the self-help and I think us as okay, therapists self-help. are terrible this. If we, like, self-help isn't a thing people I'm yeah. just, this is for the audience <laughs> it's in self-help so if you're buying a book by Tony Robbins you're doing Tony Robbins help you're not Tony self-helping help. oh, you're okay. taking Tony Robbins and his bullshit and you're saying I'm gonna use that yeah. to like do shit with my life mm-hmm cool fine but also like maybe go to a, a person mm-hmm. in that you maybe know more than tony robbins i don't know mm-hmm. anyway self-help is a joke for sure and it's like <laughs> i think that we can end up when what it's kind of like i call it just like you're in the hall of mirrors unless you're with somebody who can help you yeah. see some of the blind spots and say well and so anyway with brain spotting um and as i think as a talk therapist which um i find talk i find being a talk therapist more draining than i do being more in my natural state, which is apparently I have the ability to hold pretty deep space for people and just like stay attuned. And, um, that has been a really cool realization. It's something that I'm always like deepening my practice with because we all fall in and out of attunement. You know, we're only in attunement so many times per day. Right. And, um, good enough is good enough, but it's, it's just like letting unspoken, non-tangible things be enough without, um, being like, I said the perfect thing. I healed the client and it's like, it's just yeah, like yeah. you're never going to do that anyway but also like I don't know so and, mm-hmm. it, and I think it's it's not interpreting 
Um, and um, that's where, you know, brain spotting. So what, what we talk a lot about is the acronym WAIT in, in brain spotting. So it stands for either, well, it could just be WAIT. Like, just put a pause in between you're about to do something. Yeah. And one of them is, why am I talking? <laughs> because every time I have to talk to somebody who's, you know, they've found a brain spot in the visual field, which, again, I can explain that more. They're using bilateral sound, which is a specific type of music made for lots of different practices, but brain spotting uses a certain type um, that switches ears in a more random fashion. It doesn't, it's not even. Mm -hmm. The brain tunes it out a little less if it's kind of moving. Um, bilateral sound helps you move into a subcortical space in your body, in, uh, <coughs> excuse me, in your, in your brain. Subcortex, where the limbic system is. And again, I'm a, I have a, I'm like, my neuroscience is true B minus. Like, oh, I'm, I doing my best. Mine's all totally, <laughs> I self, I self study. <laughs> Same. So. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. And like, I, I think my next step is like more of a, a neuroscience class. Cause there's so much about this I want to know. And. And not so much to take away the more energetic or intangible part, because that's my paradox. Like, because I'm, I'm so much like I love this, and and if I had to put it together, maybe the art and science of how we do this. But, um, in, in the subcortical space, is, in theory, or at least in this practice, where, a lot of our implicit stuff is stored. So implicit meaning it's the communication with you is not going to be this, all it's not always going to be this really defined thought of. I'm in danger, but you may have a sensation that sending signals around that, or mm -hmm. you may have it connected to a memory where there's no visual and there's, there's no story. And so we might move that into the definition of like, what is the inchoate? So inchoate meaning no words. So when there's no words for something, how do you talk about that? How do you talk about something when there isn't anything yeah. to say? How do you talk about pre-verbal traumas or pre-verbal experiences? You can't. So that's yeah. where that the language of this is sensation. The language of this is visceral and of the body. And just being with someone who can attune and hold that deep space is theoretically enough. But also we, in the science part of it, what David Grand found when he was an EMDR therapist for many years too, one of the early adopters actually in the 80s, um, he found, and, and this is a story that you can access through the book he wrote. He didn't write his book just for clinicians. He doesn't even say that only therapists and, and mental health clinicians need to learn brain spotting. That's how the physical therapist, massage yeah. therapist, Reiki practitioners, whoever can be trained in brain spotting. Um, obviously it's within your scope. Like if you don't yeah. have a lot of dissociation training or trauma yeah. training, maybe don't work with that, but you know, but he's open about training. Um, he doesn't just keep it to mental health therapists, although I will say the bulk of people who do brain yeah. spotting mental health, but um, so the, what he found was EMDR, the EM, the eye movement part, which connecting to REM sleep where your, your eyes are going crazy. Like, you know, they're moving a lot and that's seemingly generating images in your dreams. And so what they did with that was, um, use the eye movements back and forth quickly in a rapid manner, um, during a practice, during a session to resolve trauma, traumatic memory. Yeah. They also deal with the cognitions and the beliefs and, do things like, you know, um, cognitive interweaves where you're, you're bringing things in very, very much with speech and very much in mm -hmm. that language part of the brain yeah. about changing the cognitions that you develop during your trauma. Quick question. Yeah. Would it be appropriate ever if, say, someone, a client didn't have language and mm -hmm. a therapist would say, well, that's probably because you 
had some sort of sexual abuse that was oh, pre-verbal. Yeah, probably we shouldn't be making that well, okay. inference. Yeah, right, because you said don't interpret. No. And I have had a couple of, I can't remember, I think this one, it was during EM, it was not, never brain spotting, it was EMDR, I think, yeah. that they were like, I went to EMDR one time, and I didn't really like it, because it was like, eh, and then they said this, and I was like, oh, why, no. what are we, who are we, mm -mm. what? No. You can't fucking know that, why would you say that to a client? No. Okay, sorry, I, had, no, I knew okay. the answer would be no, right. That's, that's like, wild, like, right? I, can't even, I can't even imagine saying that to someone, even if maybe there were even clearer indicators. Yeah, like maybe they could share some history. I don't think I would still be saying, no. this sounds like you've been sexually abused. I don't, like, yeah, no. I don't know. I don't see, I don't see the benefit to the client of that. And I've had mm -hmm. many clients come to me and say, I wonder if I was sexually abused. Do you think I was sexually abused? And I'll say, I don't know. You know yeah, I don't know. totally. But let's, you know, whatever's going on for you, let's just work in, you know, all we need is to know where you are right now to know where you've been. Yeah. We don't have to know what. And yeah. so a lot of what we say in brain spotting is we don't have to know what it is to know that it is. Yeah, so, I know a lot of that, not yeah. that specific, but with clients where yeah. it's like, well, you can tell me what you might think that, and yeah. if you want, and we're like, yeah, you don't have to recover all your memories. No, you know, no. like we, if you don't have it, you don't have it, and that might be like a good thing. Yeah, but yeah, well, let's talk about. Do you think? Be that because it's somehow showing up for you today. What's the thing that's yeah. showing up for you today? And let's just talk about how to deal with that, whatever yeah. it may be, the behavior. I would thought. say it's a lot less like glamorous and dramatic than that. Like, oh my god, I remembered this thing. Like yeah. I had, like when I walked into here today, because I'm I'm kind of like I do a lot of self observation, I guess. But like when I walked in here today, and you told me that story, of like of course I remember that happened. But you had to prompt me, and I had to access it in yeah. that way, right? Yeah. So that was not like some rep – I didn't repress that. Yeah. And now it's like gone, and like if someone had – it's not that. It's like, oh, my gosh, that's right. But that's how, you know, you look at long-term retrieval and storage of memory. Yeah. So I've had many a client go, oh, my gosh, I haven't thought about that in forever. Um, I, I don't even know where that came from, but it came up. If it's offered mm -hmm. to us, I assume it's for a reason, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. That's my thought. Whenever they, like, something comes for them, mm -hmm. exactly, I just, like, don't question it. No. It's like, yeah. If it's offered, I think it's offered for a reason because this is where you have that deep belief in maybe the humanity, the soul, the spiritual, whatever. Maybe it's just full-on just being humans great and it's enough. But it's like there is a self-organizing aspect to the body. There is a self-organizing, yeah. self not self-healing is not it because that gets into like you can I don't know it's like it's moving towards healing like the brain yeah. wants to heal yeah and it knows what it needs to do that yeah and and it doesn't really need me to get in the way yeah and it just needs me to kind of be be with and being with is enough and being with is super tough yeah <laughs> like, I mean being with and not flinching and not um, going in to rescue somebody or pull them out of this thing and not also backing away right because people can feel that oh yeah people can feel when you're not there Oh, yeah. You can feel when someone's not listening to you. You can feel when they're going, mm-hmm, yep. And um, so that's why, like, you can't phone it in, you know? If, yeah. you're a, if you're a somatic, if you're a, you know, there's the big kind of the big three, somatic experiencing EMDR and brain spotting. I think if you're one of those, you you have to be pretty pretty in it and present. And to be in compliance with that, you have to be doing a lot of your own stuff. And you yes. have to be doing a lot to regulate yourself. It's like you can't, yeah. you can't take it. Yeah. Um, I came here today from lunch duty at my daughter's school and I was like sitting there like rhythmically drying trays and I just can't, I think I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going on this podcast. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't, <laughs> I don't have anything to say. But then I was like, you know, I'm going to talk about how the most integrating, regulating thing I do these days is lunch duty because it's so like rhythmic and there's just like, it's, it's in it and it's very physical work and I just love it. And so it's, it's, um, 
every time I think, oh my gosh, I don't have time for lunch duty. I have so much on my plate. It, I remember exactly why I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like to yeah. just be in this thing that's just handing out food and it's rhythmic yeah. and it's like literally, it's just well, and it's a positive head. social interaction, right? Yeah. Like I think so much. Um, like social interaction, I get. I have so many clients. A, my whole deal is intimacy. So everyone struggles yeah. with intimacy, but also like so many. How do I make adult friends? Like so many people who are clearly like thrive or like starving for mm-hmm. connection and social interaction. A lot of what I end up doing is like, well, here, like let's just start with this. Like that's a great coping skill: positive social interaction. But we're mistaking that that, that needs to be like hanging out with our friends. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Hey, maybe you just need to go buy something at the gas station because yep. you know that clerk is super friendly and so yep. you're going to have a thing and you can be like, ah, hey. And we have this like two-minute social interaction that's super positive and joyous with a stranger. Oh, I like that. Uh, I was like, and I want, and like see how that shifts your mood. Right. Um, and things like that. Because, yeah, right, so much of what we have created, again, as weirdos in society that's very like inhumane or disconnecting. So for brains, I imagine – like the advent of technology, how much that you guys kind of probably understand the effect of how that's doing the shit to like Mm -hmm. the brain not being able to heal because we're, we're just, we have so much easy distraction or dopamine bombs, what you're going to put it. Um, and so how stunted are humans who have been born into this with the, oh, their whole lives versus I love our gen- mm-hmm. like just it's fun that we have analog childhood yeah right <laughs> yeah. that we have the weird half and half oh, I yeah. love that I'm so grateful this shit like the internet existed but it was I was small enough town like it was the Wild West. Yeah, like, I didn't have it. I, I did a little bit of AMI messaging my senior year of high school. Mostly banned message boards. You know, yeah. And, like, so I really, I didn't have a cell phone until college. Mm-hmm. I didn't have at Facebook until Same. after yeah. college. Anyway, all of it. But, so it's nice to have the differing experiences. I'd be interested in any sort of studies around, like, people totally pre, at least cell phones, mm-hmm. and then the generations who had their whole lives mm-hmm. and how that's affected I mental health processing, emotional agree. processing. I think you pro- I, you saw it. You followed me on Instagram. I posted this thing that was, I mean, it's kind of like, it's a little one-sided because I'm sure that TikTok has made like certain awarenesses about mental health better, but it's also like, it was a meme that was like, the mental health profession may never recover from what TikTok has done to it. And I was like, oh my God, like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in, that's, that for me, that's up. Like, I'm like, yep, that's it. And like, it, I think it's just, there's there's sort of this cute packaging around like mental health yeah. when like there is a lot of madness like I yeah. mean like that's not just a set of cute quirky like you know it's like there's we do you remember that house we were in yeah <laughs> I mean, right a, yeah. that that's a little bit like sometimes I think if you're gonna do this well like what we do and you're gonna yeah undo the issues with how you're taught, right, is you have to be able to go to right to the edge of that mm-hmm. madness. Like, it's, yeah. it's more of that. It's not just, like, and so, um, like, that was that was pretty visceral. Like, that moment is, like, kind of, and yeah. I think it's cool that we can bring it to that. But, yeah, I'm, and so you're talking about technology, so much better access and also so much, like, just rabbit holes of right. people saying certain things and the well yeah and just distracting yeah. yourself so mm-hmm. like um so much of um not feeling your sensations yes. and that being mm-hmm. able to like um like repress them very easily mm-hmm. and quickly and yeah. 
Um, yeah, and just how much that's sort of stunting emotional growth. I think that could be too. But yeah. It is where we live. So yeah. okay, last little thing before we wrap up. Because you said earlier this was my first journey into self-employment. I thought we could just end by like yeah. gushing about how fucking nice it is to be self-employed in a capitalist society. Yes. Like my mental health. Mm-hmm dramatically changed Mm -hmm. when I started working for myself. And I'm not saying that's, like, what everyone needs, but it was, like, again, for me, like, so much of things that cause any of my, like, depression or anxiety type when I've had those episodes and, and like, it's a lot of, like, feeling for whatever reason that I don't have control over my life, Mm -hmm. whether that was Catholicism Mm -hmm. of my parents and that fucked up shit and and just being a kid, right? We all have that as a kid. Mm -hmm. We don't have power. Um... And then thinking, all right, I'm in the world, here we go. And then, fuck, what? Like, yeah. here are these things. And then, like, yeah, like, capitalism, like, okay, I have to work for someone. So, like, the majority of my time is, like, mm-hmm. this company's time. And, mm-hmm. and like, that, that, like, that just really hits my psyche in a way where it is heavy. Mm-hmm. And, damn. Yeah. Working for myself. Mm-hmm. Whoo! Why didn't I think of that before? <laughs> what was I I'm thinking? sure you thought of it. I did it. I never did. Mm-hmm. I never did. Mm-hmm. You I never thought about it? No. Okay. I never conceptualized that, which I are. don't know why. But here you are. But here, like, the only reason I did it was because I wasn't going back to, and I'll name him, Rickley's bullshit in Papio's mm. school district when he yeah. went full Trump support and yeah. started banning queer issues yeah. and all the stuff. So it was. I quit and started doing better help in my basement. Like, <laughs> doing better help. This was a great idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and here, I mean, like, I think what you've built is great, and everything you offer is a is a need. And I've seen just like really good things. And I know I can always learn so much about intimacy work and narrative. And I don't know everything, so I love hearing to other people talk, and I, I yeah. love to know more about other people's modalities and. Yeah, I think working working for myself has been good. It's been um, blood, sweat, and tears, and it's also just like it's it's good. And I think that you know because of you know I do have a group practice. I do have employees. It's like some people would say you know I'm participating in that. And well, we have ways, to. We have to. Yeah. You know that it's it's like more so. How can we participate in a way that we feel good about yeah, it? Right. As right. As possible. Yeah, and like feeling like we're not causing harm yeah. or uplifting the harm. Yeah. You know. And I think that one of the things that I want to do is make sure that there's a lot of, as much as I can give them, you know, in terms of benefits, in terms of compensation, like you just want to make sure that people feel like the relationship is fair, I guess, between their company and them. And I don't think that we ever worked in places where that was really the case. It wasn't really fair to us in a lot of ways in terms of expectations. They felt really out of range, like in terms of contact hours and... Um, pay was always pretty terrible, so oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. we didn't get paid well at all. Um, and especially for the depth of work we were doing, and like that was burnout city. Like, oh yeah, for it. I had a bachelor's degree yeah. from a prestigious institution like Creighton <laughs> University, <laughs> and my first job doing employment that was based on that degree was literally twelve dollars and two cents. Mm-hmm. per hour to go into homes where people are selling crack. Like, yeah, to go into homes 
with severely mentally ill children and their families. And they never, I don't recall, like, feeling trained in that. It was no! not like they're like, here's what to expect in a home. Like, here's how to protect no! yourself and protect families. Like, also, is that what I'm here for? But yes, but no, but yes. Yes, also, like, why What am I doing here? I got the caseload and the people, the, the gals at the agency were like, oh, this is kind of giving me the scoop on some families, whatever. And they all were like, oh, you got this one? Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. That was the training of what do I do when I go to home? And I'll never forget, I walk in and I'm like, all right, I can do this. I'm so professional. It's going to be yeah. great. And they're kind of a weller to do families. So yeah. some concerns you might have with some of our folks in the poverty situation, I was like, okay, I don't feel as uh, great I don't nervous. What you're talking about, actually. Um, yeah, no, I, this was my first, I was like, oh, I had an eclectic socioeconomic status of a caseload. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, this will be easy. I walk into these giant, what are those mastiff dogs? And I was like, yeah. oh my God. And gentlemen, so they get them out of the way. And like, I'm going to just get in the kid. And this scrawny little 14 year old comes down and he sits on that couch <laughs> across from me and looks me dead in the eyes yeah. and goes, Fuck you. <laughs> You're like, and I was awesome. like, what do I do? <laughs> All right. You ended up being one of my motherfucking favorites. But it. like things yeah. like that where you're just like, no one trained me for this. No. Like, I don't know what, what to respond with. What do I, I say? Know. What do I do? No, I know. Like, really, that's, I just, I, I see... I see a lot of, I would say the bulk of my caseload anymore is other therapists, therapists in training. It's kind of just where things have gone. And I will tell the students, I'm like, nothing you are learning is going to like actually teach you how to do therapy. And so I was like, just, I think what you're doing here being in therapy is is half of it. And I think you shadowing people who you think are smarter and better than you. I used to love getting to sit in on supervisors. Yeah, me too. it's not a. It's not like anyone prioritizes that. You're just lucky if your internship. Exactly. Is like, sure, you yeah. can fit in. Yeah. But I think that that half of what I've, a lot of what I've learned has only been just like being in it, being on the job, um, just watching other people do it. Yeah. Going, oh, same. I'm an experiential yeah. learner anyway, but like. For sure. And that's why social work uh, was a great program because the whole deal your senior year while you're still in school is like getting on the job experience. And I don't know why more programs aren't like that, more Mm -hmm. education isn't like that, where it's more apprentice-based. I think you're completely right. Or moving away from a comprehensive exam to a capstone. Yeah, exactly. that would demonstrate. Giving people in these fields like tests. Not just dumb. my ability to memorize things. Exactly. Like totally. My ability to apply and totally. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I did. I taught in the school of social work for a little bit, and yeah, I think that there were things that that we we could do to. What I loved is I actually taught um, general practice one. So it was yeah. the people like me who didn't have a social work degree yeah. and had to come in and do the foundation. It's an extra 30 hours of your mm-hmm. master's, and it's awesome. And yeah. I liked being able to connect with them because I could kind of get it. I'm like, yeah, yeah you're like. I did not do this in college. Yeah. But so, and what I loved about that was that part of it was triad work. So they would do, they would have an observer and they would practice just the generalist, yeah. inter, you know, I'm engaging, I'm yeah. going for it, but they did it in that, in that class. And I loved being able to offer that to them. I loved with the triads when we worked on them. Yeah. And so that was as close as I could get to like introducing experiential to just the very baseline of the masters. But like yeah. that stuff, I think it's way more meaningful than 
you know, memorizing the term for what the oh, model is. Yeah. The uh, eight steps to, to engaging a client. To that point, I love taking on practicum students. Um, awesome. uh, so I, especially the, when I was at the school, I would get mm-hmm. one every year. And so I got this one, one time where I was like, wait, we're in our master's program. And like, she was interviewing a student and was like, so what is your socioeconomic status? No. And, nope. Oh, no. Yeah, we memorized a nope. term. Cool. And nope. the kid was like, I don't know what that fucking means. <laughs> and you're like, yep. Yep. I, what are we doing? Anyway, but yeah, so it was like, how? You're in a master's program. You can't even do a basic little rapport building interview here. And you're just like, oh, dear God, what are we doing? It's, it sounds like that experience like absolutely needed to happen for that person. Oh, there was, I, <laughs> someone needed so to many say, red flags. And quite means. honestly, this is yeah. where I learned my lesson. I am too nice. I should have failed her. I should, by the end, there wasn't growth. And, and I should have yeah. failed her. And honestly, I kind of tried to and, you know, sort of. I think like that's hard to it. do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I did give her the like a very low C and recommended that she mm-hmm. not um, <laughs> that she be held to continue a little bit before she's given her degree. And but she graduated and worked at Capstone right away after that. So I believe there you. you. <laughs> All right. Well, oh my that, gosh. Yeah, we're kind of. At Thank the end of our you time. so much for coming. Mm-hmm. Wrapping up. Final thoughts, just on any of the things. I was like. I just really appreciate being able to just kind of flow with like thoughts and, and feelings and about the work. And I'm happy to ever come back and talk more specifically about brain spotting. Um, it's, it's one of the coolest things I think that's out there. And I just, not that everybody needs to learn it, but if you ever have the opportunity to do it, if you ever have the opportunity to work with someone or just do a little bit of, of brain spotting in general or just read the book. You Is know? it weird? Could you do a session with me? Like, obviously not ongoingly because ethically, but I would love, yeah, to have, like, just that experience. I think for you I would. Yeah, like. For, like, the general population. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, but, yeah, I think for you I would because I could, because I know we have the rapport where – I don't think you'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm having feelings and this is weird. Oh, yeah, like, no. I think you're totally, you can hold that part yeah. of the work. I would absolutely do that. And, you know, one of the things that we do if we're doing kind of like an experimental session, if you want to call it that, is like we don't pick like the 10. We don't pick like yeah, the, yeah. the darkest thing that's ever happened to you. Oh, I've talked all like, about it on this yeah. podcast. So it's so totally like, fine. Pick, pick like a five, you know, like, yeah. like a four. Like, what's. What's a decent annoyance that's yeah, happened? Yeah, but like, and yeah. then you can just. And that's generally what I need to work on at this yeah. point. I've done yeah. all the real deep Which shit. Which just annoys the fuck out of yeah. you. And I'll help you with that <laughs> Perfect. one. Perfect. Like, there so, we go. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And then, like, maybe we could debrief it or. Yeah, you know, that'd be cool. Do. We should do it and then talk about it. Yeah. yeah. I think it's cool. I think it's just like, I don't know. It's just the coolest thing I've ever learned. So I, no, I yeah. love to talk about it. And there's many ways up the mountain. Like there's so many different modalities. I don't shit on any of them. Um, and I think where I'm uniquely poised is having been an EMDR therapist. Long yeah. It's the most similar. I can talk about both and yeah. EMDR is effective. It is. It's also for me as a more intuitive person bodied, you know, I just, um, for me, it's too procedural. Yeah. It's too procedural. Yeah, it's a little yeah. bit more doing at, and that's not, bad for everybody it's just that's why I as a practitioner resisted getting trained in it too even though trauma is my whole bag and it's you know um people really want it but Mm -hmm. I just I was like yeah yeah, like it's just like I feel like I can tell like who I am and what's intuitive to me it like wouldn't be a good match I feel like I can be a little more creative outside of that but I have known a lot of people who absolutely love EMDR therapy and they should be able to have that and it's it's well researched it's evidence for a reason you know so anyway yeah, and I don't really think of it as an either or. I don't talk about it that way. Most people don't, and who are who are worth their salt don't talk yeah. about it as a as a camp that you're in and you're anti. It's not really that. So, 
Um, but yeah, thank you for All having right, me. Yeah, I loved it. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. And we'll do another one after you give me some. Yeah, some, some BSP. Yep. Cool. Let's do it. All, right. All right. Thanks, Jenna. No problem. Bye.